And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, we're still in uh, in Romans here, going to be there for a while, Lord willing. Um, if, if you look at any commentary or uh, an outline of a book, you're going to see that verses 1 through 15 actually constitute what they call the introduction. We're taking the second half of the introduction. We took the first half last week. This is the second half beginning in verse 8. Now keep in mind that Paul has never visited this uh, Roman church and he's never seen the believers at Rome. Later on we find out that he, he knows a couple of them. He mentions them by name, but overall he does not know the church. And yet he finds himself writing to them and so how can he best reach them and express his purpose for writing to them how could he arouse their interest to such a degree that they would read what he was writing and actually heed it that's the purpose of the letter right well that's the subject of this present passage Paul is still introducing the uh, letter to the Romans most of whom as I said he's never met he knew that due to uh, his enemies, he was sometime portray sometimes portrayed as a radical who was teaching all sorts of dangerous things. This is what outsiders, uh, enemies of Paul were saying about him. But he longed to visit these fellow believers in Rome and share together in the things of God. So he has the delicate task of explaining to these mostly unknown Christians, some of whom have heard negative things about him, he's trying to explain who he is and why he wants to visit them and preach the gospel there. So he shares how he has heard of their faith and how frequently he prays for them. He shares his heart about wanting to come and spend time with them, both strengthening their faith and being encouraged himself by the things of the gospel from them. Now he lets them know that he has often desired to come, but to this point he has been prevented. Now he hopes to come and find opportunities to preach there. So Paul wants to use his gifts to serve these people uh, that he doesn't even know yet. And he wants to benefit from them using their gifts to serve him as together they labor to see the gospel expand there in Rome. So this little snapshot of Paul in the church at Rome, it gives us a picture of serving saints. So the overall lesson is God wants all who he has saved to be serving saints. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we come this morning just to bow the knee and say that, yes, once again, we need your help. Father, uh, we need the Holy Spirit's power, uh, his wisdom, his discernment to speak this truth into our hearts, to see what Paul is saying about this church that, that should be indicative of all churches, including ours. So God, speak to our hearts in, 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 only, in the way that only you can. Father, so in the end, we'll walk out of this place looking more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray, amen. Well, the theme is coming from Paul's words in verse 9, for God whom I serve in my spirit, serving saints. But it's obvious that Paul isn't the only one in our passage this morning who is serving. He begins by mentioning how he has heard all over about the faith of the Roman believers. He also says that he expects not only to minister to the Romans, but also to be ministered to by them. And as we saw in verse 7 last week, the believers in, in Rome were called to be saints, right? And that calling comes from God. So all believers are called to be serving saints. That's what the, the passage is about this morning. There's four main lessons for us here. Number one, serving saints, they spread the gospel and they rejoice to hear, it, hear of it being spread elsewhere. 
And Paul writes, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, Paul begins with that word first. But if you'll notice, there's no second, third, or fourth. I, I think what he's doing here is just saying to begin with to start. And then he says, my God. He begins with my God. It shows that Paul's relationship with the Father was personal. Paul knew God as his God. If you do not know God personally through faith in Jesus Christ, then you're probably only into religion. True Christianity is not a, a matter of religion where you go to church, you go through a, a few ver a various rituals and, and you keep certain moral standards. True Christianity is a matter of coming to know the living God through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, as you trust in him to forgive your sins and to give you eternal life. Now, Paul thanks God through Jesus Christ because Christ mediates all of God's blessings to us. In Timothy, Paul says that um, there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus so if you know God at all, it is through his son, Jesus. It's through Christ that we have access to God in prayer. Paul is thankful because their faith is being proclaimed through the whole world, through the whole known world there, the, the Mediterranean world. Everybody's talking about these believers. But Paul, he doesn't thank the Romans for their faith as if it came from them. He thanks God. You see, God had brought these former pagans in that corrupt city of Rome uh, to a saving faith in Christ. Salvation is God's gift. Heard, Paul heard uh, others all over the Roman Empire talking about the faith of the Roman Christians. Now, this shows that, that they were a witnessing church. Uh, they didn't have or need a marketing strategy or an advertising campaign. Rather, they had vibrant testimonies of how God had changed their lives through the gospel. And as people heard of what God was doing in their midst and, and talking to others, the word spread so that Paul himself heard about them, even though he had, had yet to visit Rome. And so his heart rejoices. We see the same thing in Philippians where he talks about some people preach Christ, you know, out of envy and for different reasons he says that's okay as long as Christ is actually being preached. Well, faith in Jesus Christ is the essential thing. The writer of Hebrews tells us that you cannot please God uh, or without, without faith it is impossible to please God. Now, Paul often couples faith and love. Now, love for God and for one another, that is the, the main fruit that we are called to bear. That's what the world will see is the love that we have for one another. Um, however, faith, is, faith in Christ is the main foundation. It's through faith that the Holy Spirit comes into us and dwells within our hearts and produces God's love in and through us. Well, bringing it down to a personal level, just ask a simple question. Does your home demonstrate faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for God and for one another? It should. Well, it's significant that the Roman church was not the result of Paul's labors, but that didn't matter to Paul. Paul had started many churches, but not this church at Rome. He, he's never, never been to Rome to see them yet. Um, he rejoiced to hear God working no matter who was responsible for it. He wasn't out to build his self a name, you know, the, the first church of Paul here or whatever. That's not his desire. Even so, if we hear that the gospel is spreading, even if we had nothing to do with it, we should rejoice. Uh, we should be encouraged that the gospel is taking root elsewhere. 
serving saints, they spread the gospel and they rejoiced to hear of it being spread. Well, number two, serving saints serve God sincerely in the gospel as they wait on him in prayer. Paul says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now that word translated serve, it means to, uh, it's talking about worshipful service. It, It suggests that all of our service should be offered up to the Lord. It's to be done for his name's sake. Paul adds that he serves God in my spirit. He he means that his service comes from the heart or from the inner man, which only God sees. That really gets down to our motive for serving. Are, Are we serving for the affirmation that we receive from others, or do we serve to please God, who knows our hearts? This also addresses the methods that we use in our just general service. Do we, now I'm not talking about here service like we're in a service now, I'm just talking about our service to the Lord, whatever that might be. Do we get those methods from the business world or from the world of psychology where they've been proven to yield results? You know, just plug in these marketing techniques and your church will grow. Or do we use spiritual methods that come from God's word? Now, I can assure you, the world often scoffs at those methods. They, they think we're crazy, right? But according to Paul in 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. In other words, God doesn't do things like the world does things. The gospel is one of those spiritual methods that the world just scoffs at. Paul says that he serves God in his spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. Now he states in verse 16, which is our next verse, it'll be a couple weeks before we get to that, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. The gospel gospel had repeatedly transformed sinners like Paul, a, a persecutor of the church, into godly saints who exemplify the fruit of the spirit, It's the simple message of the gospel that God uses to save sinners. It's not how we present the gospel. (laughs) It's not our expertise in explaining the gospel. It is the gospel itself. It is powerful. Well, prayer is another spiritual method. Weak people, overwhelmed by problems way beyond their ability to solve, they cry out to the living God and he answers them. Again, the modern church is is much more into techniques than it is prayer. Seminars abound on the latest techniques for church growth. There's a proper place for wise techniques, but the danger is when we then sing the praises of the techniques for how well they worked. Here's God's design. This is coming from Psalm 50, verse 15. It's actually God speaking. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Do you get that? Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. But why does God call, or Paul, call God as his witness with regard to these unceasing prayers about coming to Rome? Well, it's possible that some of Paul's enemies have told the Roman Christians, Paul doesn't really care about you. He doesn't even know who you are. He doesn't know anything about you. So Paul wants them to know before God 
his prayers for them, they're sincere and they're frequent. Also, Paul, Paul's immediate plans, as he's going to share a little bit later in this particular letter, they were to go first to Jerusalem with the gift to the poor saints there that are in Jerusalem. And if he's delayed there, again, his critics could say, yeah, he talks a good line about coming to Rome. But it's just all talk. So Paul wants the Romans to know that they are often in his prayers and that he prays often that God would open a way for him to go there. And Paul's words here reveal several just helpful lessons about prayer. A, even Paul had delays and frustrations with regard to the answers of his prayers. We're not even gonna talk about the prayer that he prayed three times. Father, take this thorn from my flesh. You know, and, and God said, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, Paul had prayed often that he might be able to go to Rome. And he even often made uh, plans to go. But thus far, his his uh, plans had been frustrated and his prayers. Now, sometimes we think that um, something must be wrong with our prayer, prayer life if we don't get instant answers. How many know that God typically doesn't work that way? We, we don't seem to be on the same timetable, do we? Paul didn't get a quick answer. And when he did get the answer, it wasn't the answer that he had hoped for, that he had prayed for. And that leads to the second lesson. B, often God's answers, often God answers through delays or roundabout ways that we don't envision when we pray. Paul prayed that he could go to Rome. And, but God's way, <laughs> it was not a straight path. That's what Paul was looking for. First, Paul did go to Jerusalem to deliver the, 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 the offering. But when he got there, he got arrested, being falsely accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple. So they arrested him. Then he spent more than two years in custody in Caesarea. The governor there was hoping for a bribe and he knew that it pleased the, the leaders in, in Jerusalem to have Paul incarcerated there in Caesarea. Although he should have been freed, Scripture tells us that, Paul had to appeal to Caesar to save his life. Then, from, from, from there in Caesarea, he's headed to Rome, but on the way, they get shipwrecked at Malta and have to spend the entire winter there. Finally, they arrive, this is probably two and a half to three years later, they arrive in Rome, and Paul is a prisoner. It wasn't exactly, well, I prayed, and, prost, and presto, God did just what I asked. No, it was a rather strange route that Paul got to Rome. Well, a third lesson on prayer is that we must always submit our prayers to the will of God. There's a mystery, mystery here that, that can be difficult to understand. The, the sovereignty of God often includes evil things that are against his revealed moral will. And although God is not responsible for the evil, he uses the evil to accomplish his greater purposes. Now, we should pray against evil and yet be subject to God's will in all things that we don't understand. Think about Paul again. He went to Jerusalem in spite of the Holy Spirit's warning of his arrest. I don't, I don't remember, remember the story. Agabus, who was a prophet, comes to him, tapes, takes Paul's belt off, y'all excuse me, takes Paul's belt off. Now, I'm Agabus now. And he ties his hands and his feet with Paul's belt. And he says, so will be the man who wears this belt if you go to Jerusalem. And Scripture says that that was the Holy Spirit speaking. I hope my pants don't fall off. It was the Holy Spirit speaking that told Paul that. 
And Paul says, no, I'm going. Then all of his friends try to convince him, no, you shouldn't go, no, you shouldn't go. And he finally says, no, I'm ready. I'm not, I don't care if I get arrested. I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for his name if that's what he wants. And so finally they send him off and their final word is to him, the will of the Lord be done. What had Agabus predicted? The arrest of Paul. What happened to Paul when he got there? He got arrested because of the false accusations of evil men. Then he spent two years in custody there in Caesarea because of the sins of a pagan governor. So God worked through all these evil things to bring Paul to Rome, thus answering his prayers. How'd you like your prayers to be answered that way? The lesson for us is to pray, but always be subject to God's will. If he doesn't answer exactly as we prayed or like I said, in our timing, we must still be in submission to his will, acknowledging that his ways are not our ways. James Boyce, he suggests three reasons why sometimes our perfectly proper prayers go unanswered. First, he says, unanswered prayer may be God's way of teaching that we are not as necessary to the work we are praying for as we think we are. Paul wanted to go to Rome to minister to these saints, but they were able to do quite well without him in the meantime. Maybe Paul didn't need to learn this lesson through God's delay in answering, but often we do. Here's the simple truth. We are not indispensable to God's program. You may be praying for something good, but it's not necessary yet that that come into existence for you. Second, God may not answer our prayers because he may have other work for us to do. Paul's ministry in Greece, in Asia, and even in Caesarea, that's where he preaches the gospel to Felix, to Festus, to Agrippa, and to tons of other people. Uh, that's part of God's sovereign plan for Paul. If God has you stalled in a frustrating, frustrating situation, simply serve him there. He knows what's upcoming. Just serve him where you're at. Third, there may be spiritual warfare that we are simply not aware of. You remember Daniel? He prayed and God sent the answer through an angel and he ended up getting in basically a battle. I was gonna say a fight, but it's so much bigger than that. Uh, it, it's a battle with a, a worldly a demon and that battle lasts 21 days before God's angel defeats the demon and is able to bring the answer to Daniel. Paul explains that our conflict is against unseen spiritual powers and that prayer is a chief weapon to use in that battle. So we often don't know why our prayers are not answered quickly and, and the way that we want them to but we have to trust in and submit to God's sovereign will. So serving saints spread the gospel. They rejoice to hear of it being spread. And they serve God sincerely in the gospel as they wait on him in prayer. 
Well, third, serving saints long to be with other saints for the purpose of effective ministry. That's why we gather here, right? That's why we gather during the week. That's why we do various ministries, right? We're helping each other be effective in ministry. Paul says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, someone has pointed out that it was a good thing that Paul was delayed because it was during that delay that he actually book, uh, wrote the book of Romans. Right, so we have this letter, it's really a letter, not a book, but we have this letter that's, you know, it, it's, it's monumental, it's huge. And had Paul gone straight to Rome, maybe wouldn't, we wouldn't have this letter. This letter was what he was gonna teach that church at Rome. Well, these verses reveal Paul's heart, Paul's heart for these believers and the aim of his intended visit there. So I want us to consider five quick lessons here about effective ministry. A, the atmosphere for effective ministry is warm personal relationships. Paul longed to see these saints. How many of you like to come to church just because you want to rub elbows with some friends and some people who love the Lord like you do? I hope, I hope I see some heads nod or some hands go up. That's exactly why we gather. Paul often expresses his heartfelt desire to be with others. We see it in all of his letters. Now, Paul couldn't possibly get close to every believer in Rome, but his heart of love and concern for them, it still comes through will be the aim of effective ministry is to see others established in their faith, to see them grow, to see them become grounded in the Lord. Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians at this point were new in their faith and they were undergoing some intense uh, just persecution and trials. And Paul says, for now we really live if you stand, in, if you stand firm in the Lord. The we is Paul and others who had helped start the church. They're not there now, and he's writing them a letter to encourage them. He says, man, it just makes us feel really alive when you stand firm in the Lord. That's the purpose of effective ministry is to see people established in their faith. We'll see the sphere of effective ministry is spiritual gifts. Paul, he wanted to go to Rome, he says, to impart some spiritual gift to them. What does he mean? This is, this is an interesting question. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. He says that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to each person just as he, the Holy Spirit, wills. So it's the Holy Spirit that determines what spiritual gifts that you receive. It's not likely that Paul had the ability to impart various spiritual gifts to others. He probably means that he wants to impart the gift of his apostolic understanding of the gospel. And that's exactly what we have in this letter to the Romans. As Paul exercised his gift of teaching, especially his understanding of justification by faith alone, these believers would be more established in their faith. Well, D, the spirit of effective ministry is mutual encouragement. Paul slightly corrects his comment about spiritual gifts by adding, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, we all know Paul was a knowledgeable, gifted man. But the ministry was not going to be just one way. He wasn't going to Rome so he could set them straight or grow them himself. He says, no. He looks forward to being encouraged by their faith as well. 
It's, it's give, it's take. Have you ever gone to visit someone, whether it's in the hospital or in their home because they're sick, and you get there, you, you go there to encourage them, but when you leave, it's them that has encouraged you. That's that mutual encouragement that we're talking about. Well, E, the result of effective ministry is to bear fruit. It's plain and simple, bear fruit. Paul wanted to obtain some fruit among them as he had among the rest of the Gentiles, right? There was a couple places where Paul got kicked out. He even got stoned to death, well, thought to death, but he, he was revived and he didn't die. They thought he were dead. They left him thinking he was dead and he wasn't dead. But Paul had fruit all over, uh, you know, the, the, the Middle East there and then into the Mediterranean area, um, Paul wanted to, have some, some, to obtain some fruit among the Romans as he had among the rest of the Gentiles. He's mainly referring to new converts, those who had come to faith under his preaching there in Rome. But the word fruit, it can actually refer to any blessing, any benefit that comes through God's working through us. Our aim should always be to glorify God by bearing much fruit. Well, there's one final lesson on service here. Number four, serving saints are debtors to all people to proclaim the gospel to them. In verse 14 and 15, Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The, little rendering, the literal rendering of I am under obligation is I am a debtor. I am a debtor. By Greeks and barbarians, Paul means all nations. You see, the Greeks viewed anybody that didn't speak Greek as a barbarian. So to the Greek, there was only two types of people, Greeks and barbarians. So he's talking about the whole world here. By wise and foolish, Paul means every level of society, from the most educated to the uneducated. In other words, as Paul will later tell us, every human being needs to hear the gospel because all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus is the Savior of every sinner who will repent and believe in Him. Now, being a debtor has been described as uh, being a person who is cured of a deadly disease. You see, now that person can tell others about the cure. And in this case, they don't have to go anywhere or pay any money. The cure is available and it's free for the taking. When you meet a sinner and Let's face it, that's everybody you meet. You owe it to them to tell them about the cure. Paul was eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome because he knew that it was God's remedy for sin to everyone who believes. But Paul was also eager to preach the gospel to the saints in Rome. Remember what a saint is? A saint is one who is set apart to God. So he's talking about other believers, He's, he's anxious to preach the gospel to them. He's not referring to evangelism. They've already come to know the Lord. No, he's talking about the application of the gospel to those who have already believed. As we're gonna see in chapters 12 through 16, the gospel has much practical application for the saints. Paul does this in at least three of his letters that I can think of off the top of my head. The first part of the, part of the letter is all doctrine. In Ephesians, it's the first three chapters, and then he begins in, in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, I urge you to walk worthy of the, of the call with which you have been called. In other words, I've, I've just told you in chapters one through three, this is the things you need to go about God and about your relationship with him. Now, this is how you live it out. Four, five, and six are all about um, you know, how to live out the gospel, its application. We have the same thing here in Romans. The first 11 chapters 
is doctrine. 11 chapters. How does verse, uh, chapter 12 start? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourselves a living sacrifice. Based on 11 chapters of doctrine, here's how you live it out. That's 12 through 16. That's for all of us. And that's what he's hoping to do there with those Roman, uh, the Roman believers. Just a quick capitulation, uh, capsulation here. Serving saints spread the gospel and rejoice to hear of it being uh, spread. They serve God sincerely in the gospel as they wait on him in prayer. They long to be with other saints for the purpose of effective ministry and serving saints are debtors to all people to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to them. Has God called you as a saint, as one set apart to him? If he has, then he has called you to serve in these ways for his name's sake. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much again for your abundant love and mercy uh, that you have given us through your son Jesus. That's the reason that we meet here this morning is to lift high the name of Jesus and just count on you, count on your Holy Spirit to do work in our hearts and the work of hearts of anybody that may not know you, to draw uh, them to yourself, to reveal yourself to them. So, Father, do that in our midst this morning. And when you do it, we'll give you praise and glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Jesus, uh, like I think I said this in the very beginning, if, if you know God, then you know him through Jesus. If you think that you know God, but you don't know Jesus, Jesus says you don't really know my Father. Because if you know the Father, then you know me, talking about himself. Do you know God this morning through his son, Jesus Christ? Do you trust in what Christ did on the cross? So much of religion, you know, 99.99% of religion is this is what you do to get right with God. We all have this sense within us that things aren't right, right? And you can look at the world and you go, yep, things ain't right. But you look within yourself and you as well go, things are not right. How do I get it right? Oh, you do this, you do this, you do this. So you build a checklist, right? And all religions have their checklist. Do these things and you'll be okay with God. That's not God's formula. That's Satan's formula. That's based on what you do to get back to God. Christianity is not spelled uh, D-O, do. It's spelled done, D-O-N-E. It's based on what Christ has already done for you on the cross, have you trusted the completed work of Jesus on the cross? He came, lived a sinless life, died as the perfect lamb of God, taking on the wrath of God, absorbing that wrath, propitiating sin, doing away with sin on your behalf if you will simply believe in Jesus Christ. Right from the mouth of Jesus, right? Um, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's me, Jesus saying, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you believed in Jesus? If not, you need to do that today. You need to trust him. If you're a Christian, I hope that you've just uh, got some encouragement concerning, uh, you know, the fact that we uh, should long to be here with each other, right? That's what church is about. Church isn't one person. Church is the body of Christ. And we don't function as well when you're not here. Do you hear that? We just don't function as well when you're not here. But we're to be serving saints, not just sitting saints, right? What is it that you can do to serve the Lord? Now, now don't hear me say that we only serve church, we only serve God here. No, 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 no. 
No, serving God is a 24-7 ordeal. You do it every day, you do it every second. No matter where you're at, you exemplify Christ so that others see Christ in you. If you're in here praising God, praise God. That's fantastic. But are we being an influence on the world in here like we would if we would do that out there among the lost, among the hurting, among the dying who need Jesus? So it's a 24-7 deal. Are you serving Jesus in that way? Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.